God. And I thought as we begin this season of Advent, which is the coming of Christ, um, we would bring this message and follow with some others from the same chapter. And I hope it helps us. I would like us to be able, <clears throat> during this series, to walk away examining ourselves to determine whether or not we're like this. Because it's what will get us into the kingdom of God. And if we're in the kingdom of God, it will keep us there. If we're not yet there, it will help us to get there. And I believe this is one of the reasons why it was the first public sermon that Jesus gave in his ministry, uh, at least in the book of Matthew. So if you can, let's stand in honor to the word of God. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5. This, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, or the Blessings. Um, I suppose they're counted differently. I'm going to refer to nine blessings that he speaks of, and there could be ten, but we'll somewhere in there be looking at it that way. And we'll begin with the, uh, the first blessing, which is found in the third verse. But I'll begin reading with the first verse in Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up to a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, a series of blessings. And the first one is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly Father, as we continue this morning, uh, we've been blessed by the devotional portion of the service. Thankful for the expression in the song. It resonates, it plays a, a heartstring on our heart uh, in tune, dear God, with your, uh, with your strings, with your melody. And we can say thank you, dear God, this morning for what you've given to us, how you've changed us. Lord, how you keep us. So we pray you bless in all these requests that have been mentioned, and but especially at this particular time, the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Amen. <clears throat> I don't think it'll take this long, but every time I say that, every time a preacher says that, you need to be careful. <clears throat> so I say that to say this. Stay with us, all right? Don't check out. See, I enjoy the song service, but when you get up to start to talk, well, then I, I go to sleep. Stay with us if you can stay with us. Amen. I want to I compare what we just read to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Okay? He talks about a blessing in poverty of spirit, but I want to compare he, that to Hebrews chapter 4 and 16 to give us a context here. Okay. It's the last verse of chapter 4 in Hebrews. Let us therefore come how? Boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
Now, if we were to go back to chapter 5 in Matthew, in verse 7, what's that blessing for? What does that blessing give? The gospel is connected. It's consistent. You can find the same messages from the beginning of the book till the end of the book. But you might say by the end of the message this morning that you're having difficulty understanding how we can be poor in spirit and still come boldly to the throne of grace. So I, I considered that word boldly, and that's really not where we're going to spend our time, but I wanted to help us with this. Another word for that word boldly is openly or plainly. Let us come openly or let us come plainly to the throne of grace. In other words, let us come to the throne of grace not fearing what is at the throne of grace. Because why? Because something has happened to us that'll give us confidence. And that's why we can come boldly. That word boldly can be misinterpreted. In our language, boldly sometimes means without reverence. Boldly. That person's bold, right? They're bold. And, and so it has this connotation of, of almost without reverence or almost without fear. But that's really not what it means to come boldly to the throne of grace, is it? We come boldly in the sense that we're an open book. You follow? We, we come to the throne of grace as an open book, plainly, having nothing to hide. Why? Because there's no spot or stain or any wrinkle in my garment because Jesus has taken it all and my garment is white and I have the, I ha, I, I have the ability to come to the throne of grace because he has given it to me. In that sense, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. All right, just keep that in mind because we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 5 and talk about being poor. Now, most of the time, we don't think of someone in poverty as, as doing anything boldly. See? But uh, you, you understand a little bit more about how the scripture is using that word boldly. But we're going to talk about poverty and the virtue and the value of being poor in spirit. And then we're going to ask ourselves, is that my worldview? Is that how I see life? Is, uh, I, I used this expression this week, is that how we roll? Do we, do we, um, do we come to God in poverty of spirit? And do we keep a poverty of spirit? I'm not sure Jesus was only suggesting that these virtues or these blessings get us there. And then somehow later, our attitude or our worldview changes. I think what gets us here, are, and I'll use the word worldview and attitude, all right? What gets us here is also what keeps us here. So we're speaking this morning to anybody who wants to enter into the kingdom of God, but then we're speaking also to those who want to stay there. Anybody want to stay in the kingdom of God this morning? All right, and if you're not, 
If you're not yet fully aware that you're in the kingdom of God, then this is for you as well. It covers all of us. Amen. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. There's another way to look at this word poor, and it is as a beggar. A beggar. There's other words for this, but blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the beggars. That's why I said you need to be careful about how we interpret coming boldly to the throne of grace. You don't normally think of beggars coming boldly anywhere, do you? That's why they're beggars. you, You don't think of a beggar having an attitude of boldness. But you see, there is a consistency in this scripture here of coming sort of with poverty in spirit and being open and being available and being clear with God. In that sense, we come boldly. But the two are really consistent. To come boldly implies that we come with a poverty of spirit. And there's no question that you can interpret that word poverty as what, as what a beggar is about. And so we're going to consider what it's like to be a beggar for God. Being a beggar for God. There's things that sort of imply what it is to be a beggar. First of all, to be a beggar, you possess nothing of value. That's why you're a beggar. You're seeking something to sustain you from someone else. And you yourself possess nothing of value. Now, I suppose if one were to ask the beggar, you know, do you, do you value your worldly possessions? They might say yes. But really, when we look at it fairly, a beggar possesses, I'm talking about in the grand scheme of things, nothing of value. Nothing of value. Value, in, if we look at value, value produces what we need to survive and what we, what we need to live. That's what real value produces. As opposed to the trinkets of life that we collect. And it doesn't matter whether you're a multi-billionaire or whether you're a person living on the street. It's all trinkets that we collect. And at the end of life, we give them all back. And whether we're a person on the street or whether we're a multi-billionaire, none of those trinkets are really going to help us any in the life to come. Now, they may produce something here, but I'm speaking about a spiritual beggar in spirit. That's the first thing. A beggar produces or a beggar has nothing of value. A beggar must petition somebody else for their daily bread. A beggar. Can can you spare a dime? A beggar petitions somebody else for their daily bread. That's the second thing. Attitudes of a beggar. In other words, a beggar is completely dependent upon someone else. If they weren't completely dependent upon someone else, they would have no need of begging. A beggar, and this is a question, does a beggar offer anything in return to the one who gives them? Now, the first response is not really. But let's look at it as the Lord sees it. Does a beggar offer anything in return? Because he is counting poverty of spirit as a virtue. 
Therefore, if it's a virtue, it must return something. But let's ask ourselves that question. Does a beggar really offer nothing in return? And fourth, clearly a beggar lives in another world. The world that somebody lives in that has their needs satisfied lives in a world with others who have their needs satisfied. A person who lives in a world where their needs are not satisfied lives in another world. I mean, we can even see it in the community that we live in, right? People that live on the street, people that live under bridges and so forth. In a sense, they live on the margins of society. And you might even say at times they live in another world. And when those folks meet others that have their needs satisfied, sometimes those two worlds collide. They're so different. A beggar lives in another world. I think we could agree with that. Now, I'm not placing any judgments on these statements that I'm making. It, they're, they're simply some kind of truth that we should consider about poverty and about begging, those four things. A beggar possesses nothing of earthly value. They must petition another for their daily bread. There's a question whether they can offer anything in return, and they live in another world. So we want to consider these things as we talk about what is Jesus really telling us when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we want to ask ourselves, do I possess some of the characteristics of poverty of spirit? It'll keep us. If the Lord has brought us into the kingdom, it'll keep us. If we're not yet into the kingdom, it'll help us get us there. All right. A beggar possesses nothing of earthly value. But God says, the poor, read it, the poor inherit the kingdom of heaven. So there's got to be something about this poverty, which is tremendous, because it says the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus dealt a lot with poor people in his ministry and a lot with rich people, and he compared the two. And I'm not going to go there, but I'll refer you to the second half of Luke chapter 16. And there you'll find the story of the rich man and the beggar. I'll just refer to this for a minute. We know that the beggar laid on the steps of the house of the rich man. And he was so destitute that he had sores on his body. And I read it, and it just caused pain to me to think about the life that that beggar lived. And he was destitute of food. He had no means of providing for himself. Mm -hmm. And he would have even hoped for the crumbs that fell from that rich man's table, fell from that rich man's table. That's how destitute he was. In other words, he, he, he was completely absent of any earthly goods or value. He laid on those steps, and every time the rich man came out of his house, he said, do you have any crumbs you could give me today? He, he was completely dependent upon that rich man for his sustenance. Now, the rich man thought that this beggar actually could offer him nothing in return. And so he just cruised right on by the beggar. The rich man cruised right on by the beggar every day. The rich man was clothed sumptuously in purple, which implies that he had great wealth because only people of great wealth could wear purple. 
It was a social status. And he walked right by the poor man, and I don't know how long the poor man lasted, but they both died ultimately. And it says the beggar was lifted up. I had somebody ask me once, what's it take to get to the bosom of Abraham? Oh, and it was such a serious question. And I had to say in my own mind, I don't know. We are completely dependent upon the mercy of God. We have no knowledge, no ability, nothing in our own strength that can raise us up, let alone get us to the bosom of Abraham, a safe place without any pain or suffering. I guess that's one of the first questions this morning. Can you answer for yourself, what's it going to take for me to get to the bosom of Abraham, and am I ready to go? Is my attitude and my worldview poverty of spirit? Or have I allowed myself a little bit of the rich man's worldview, which is trusting in the mammon of this world? Mammon is an Aramaic word which means sort of worldliness or worldly riches or the attitudes of this world. Have I allowed a little bit of the attitudes of this world to leak into my worldview, which is the mammon of riches? Because for the rich man, he didn't get lifted up. He was descended. He went down into the earth, to the grave. And there he was in torments. And we're not going to spend the rest of our time on the, the story of the rich man and the, and the beggar. Lazarus is the name that he's given in, in other places. But as we said last week, what we value in life is going to determine how we behave and what we believe. So if we find ourselves behaving like the rich man sometimes. Sister Edith brought a very good message this morning, lesson um, on this subject. You know, I, I'm relating it to what I'm thinking this morning. What we value and fear will determine what we, how we behave and what we believe. It was all about not complaining and finding fault, but being thankful and that there's no, there's no um, grace, there's no sort of, um, you know, uh, get out of jail card for being unthankful in the Lord's view. God calls us to be thankful. That idea that, that's something we value. But look, if we, play, if we play less, place less value on the virtues that God gives us or instructs us to hold, if we play, place less value on them, our behavior will reflect that. We're going to get to that. And what we believe will reflect that. This lesson that we're reading this morning is not about poor people who are economically poor will make heaven their home over some people 
who are economically rich. That's not what he's saying. Rich people can go to heaven just like poor people can go to heaven. There's no virtue in being economically poor. That's important. There's a feeling in the world today that somehow if somehow wealth was redistributed, even to those who didn't earn it, that we'd all be better off. No, everyone would be less wealthy and everyone would be more poor. Amen, amen, amen. Now that's amen. economics 101, that's, but, but, but that's not the subject this morning. He's not saying that rich people can't go to heaven and poor people will. It's an attitude, a worldview, a poverty of spirit versus trusting in the mammon of this world. So rich people might be there as well. They'll be there because of the attitude of their heart. Okay, so this is not about material wealth. It's a mindset. Luke 16 and verse 13. Luke 16 and verse 13. We're talking about poverty of spirit this morning and the virtue of it. And we're asking, do I possess this? Luke 16 and verse 13. This is important. No servant can serve two masters. For either he's going to hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the, the love of this world. That's what mammon is. It's not just riches. It's the love of this world. You cannot serve God in heaven and at the same time love this, the, the, the attitudes and the, the, the ideas and, 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 and the opinions of this world. Okay. The poor in spirit are beggars. There's no other way to look at it. That's what it means. The poor in spirit are beggars. And somebody says, I thought we came boldly to the throne of grace. We do because we're beggars. We're begging God. God, give me what I stand in need of because there is no one else here. There's nothing else here that can give me what you can give me. I am totally dependent upon you. I have no power to stay out of sin by myself. I have no power to overcome it. Sin is death. I have no power not to die unless you lift me up, unless you fill me, unless you strengthen me. So I come to God in a way, in a spiritual sense. I come to God on my knees and say, God, I'm a beggar. I'm like the beggar on the steps. Just give me a crumb. And I know there's a message about the whole loaf and we shouldn't just want crumbs. I get that. But, but as this attitude of beggar, I, I have no strength in myself, no virtue in myself. I come to you as a beggar, completely dependent. In myself, I, I, I have no value. Now, I'm not saying that we see ourselves as insignificant, you know, in what God has created. That's not the point. You must understand me. These, these thoughts, these ideas, these possessions that we all have this morning, I place no value on them insofar as what I need to get to heaven. 
Jesus is talking about entering into the kingdom of God. How do we enter into the kingdom of God? We see ourselves as a beggar. Be fair with this. Look at Matthew chapter 5. As blessed are the poor in spirit. It doesn't mean that he won't make us kings and priests. It doesn't take away with anything later that he says. It begins and it continues with an attitude and a worldview that we see ourselves as completely dependent, just as a beggar, upon God in heaven. Second question, and I'll forget what questions I ask you so you remember. What are we begging for? in life. What are we pleading for? What are we asking for? What are we spending our resources and our time and our, our, our energy? What, are, are we begging for another vacation? Oh Lord, I got it on the calendar and I'm living from vacation to vacation. Are we begging for another vacation? Are we begging for some other diversion in life? Are we begging for another toy? And toys Adults have toys just like children have toys. Oh, Lord, I'm just, I'm just counting my satisfaction by the pleasure of my toys. Come on. What are we begging for? Am I begging for um, status? Am I begging for something this world offers? You cannot serve both God and man. What are we begging for? I'm, I'm begging, look at, you can go down, and we'll, we'll go there as these weeks go by. Look at chapter 5 and read it, and, and you'll read ahead in our series. I'm begging for this stuff. This is what I'm begging for. If I beg for this, it will change my worldview. It'll change the way I relate to people. It'll change my behavior. It'll change what I believe if I beg for this. What are we begging for? And what are we trying to accumulate? I'm trying to accumulate riches so that I can have those other things. What are we begging for? So in ways, we're like the beggar in the story of the rich man and the beggar. But we also have to ask ourselves, have some rich man attitudes made their way into how I see life? Right? Do, the beggar represents God. The rich man represents mammon. Mammon will walk by God and pay no, no attention. Mammon will walk by God. And God will not stop the rich man from walking by. He'll allow him to walk by. As a matter of fact, God will allow the rich man to accumulate all the wealth that he can get in this life. So we're either going to find ourselves on the steps of the rich man's house or we're going to find ourselves clothed in our own purple, in our own righteousness, coming out of the house and walking by God. And the rich man's behavior and what he believed was a function of what he valued. And the poor man, the beggar, where he was in life represented what what he valued. Now you say, well, I would that he had never been there. Of course, but you understand the comparison. Okay. So the first thing is, 
The beggar possesses nothing of earthly value. What do we possess and what are we seeking to possess? The second thing is the beggar's daily bread is con 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 consistent. It is, it is his daily bread is, is given to him by another and not himself. Matthew 6 and verse 11 says, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because we're beggars. We don't manufacture our own daily bread. Not, not when it comes to getting us in heaven. Lord, please, you give us our daily bread. You give us what I need today. Are we praying that way? Lord, give me what I need today. I come to you as a beggar. I come to you in poverty of spirit. I come to you completely dependent upon your daily bread. I'm moving away from being self-sufficient in this world, and I want to be Christ-sufficient in this divine nature, this divine world. Now I want to share with you a specific behavior and belief that will follow from this, this idea that we're completely dependent on another for our daily bread that being God. I want to share with you something here. Every time we love another person less than ourselves, listen to this, we lose our dependence on God. Why? Because Jesus said on two things hang all the law and the prophets. Thou shalt love thy God with all thy strength, all thy mind, spirit, soul, all of that, everything that we are. And second, thou shalt love thy neighbor. As who? Thyself. Every time we love another less than ourselves, we lose our begging for God. Now, how are we doing? Is there anybody in your life that you are loving less than yourself? And the Lord knows what that means for each of us. When that happens, we lose our dependence upon God. And we pick up a kind of self-sustenance or a kind of self care or a kind of self-concern, even sometimes a kind of self-righteousness. We pick that up when we lose our complete dependence upon God. I'm thinking of the beggar and the poverty of spirit. Now let me add to this. If we refuse to forgive another person, we lose our dependence upon God. And we lose our poverty of spirit. And that is consistent with the gospel. We can't make exceptions to the gospel, amen, and say, well, they apply to me and my circumstance, and still retain our poverty of spirit. We'll pick up another kind of spirit. We sort of, it's, we're, we're not begging anymore. We're not begging anymore. Now somebody says, well, I'm going to withhold my forgiveness of the other 
until they repent of their foolishness. That's not forgiveness. I'm going to withhold my forgiveness for their benefit or for whatever. I'm going to withhold my forgiveness. Now, really, we have to ask ourselves, are we withholding something? If it's forgiveness, until they repent, until they change. Someone says, well, if I, if I forgive them, then somehow their bad behavior will be um, sanctioned by me, will be accepted by me if I, if I just forgive them. See? I think that's a misunderstanding. The poverty of spirit is lost there. Really, when we say, I will withhold my forgiveness until they repent, that's not forgiveness, that's manipulation. We are manipulating an outcome by withholding something that God calls us to give every time. Now, we've said this before. There's a difference between forgiveness and accountability. Holding someone accountable means I may not trust you because of how you've behaved. That's what accountability means. I think of Jesus on the cross. Jesus forgave those that parted his garments and that nailed him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. And everything that that means, he displayed poverty of spirit. God in heaven showed us poverty in spirit when he was on the cross. That doesn't mean, however, that he didn't also hold them accountable for what they had done. See? That's like saying, you know, somebody mistreats me, I forgive them, and I just go on, and the next day we wake up and I say, well, um, you know, we're all good. That's called burying the hatchet. I, 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 I don't believe God really calls us to bury hatchets. He calls us to forgive, but hold accountable. Sometimes we confuse those two things. Lord, help us. To be poor in spirit means to forgive. To be a beggar before God means to forgive and ask God, Lord, help me to be completely dependent upon your blessing. Amen. Now we ask ourselves the question, does the beggar really offer nothing in return? Beggar has nothing. You go down the street, you give somebody a, a coin or a bill, right? And they're destitute. They, have, they, they really they have no income. And you say, and you say there's nothing that that person can offer me. But let me ask you, does the poor in spirit really offer nothing? Our true blessing, our true values are not here, but they're in heaven. We, we in a sense, are um, a kind of pilgrim passing through poverty of spirit. But does the poor beggar in spirit really have nothing to offer? Acts chapter 3 and verse 6. Because he calls us to be poor in spirit, and he says that'll get us into the kingdom of heaven. And I believe it'll keep us there. 
And I believe the beggar really has something to offer. I'm talking about the beggar in spirit. Acts 3 and verse 6. Peter and John went up to the temple at a certain hour, and they met a man who was on the steps. Evidently, a lot of things happen on the steps. And the man asked Peter, he said, you know, he looked on him, he said, he's holding out his hand for alms, which is commanded in the law of God. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none. In a certain sense, that Mr. Beggar, I'm just like you. I don't have anything in my pockets of earthly value. I'm just like you. We need to remember if we're humans, we share something with every other human on the planet. In a certain sense, we're just like everyone. Do we get to the place where even with our own loved ones, our own family, our own neighbors, that somehow we think that now we need to make a difference between us and the other. And then we say, for good reason, brother, we need to be very careful in that calculation. Because right there, right there in that calculation, poverty of spirit could be in jeopardy. And depending on the decision that we make, we may lose our poverty of spirit. The attitude that I'm nothing, I'm completely dependent upon God. And the decision we make in that calculation might move us out of poverty and spirit into a kind of mammon of self-righteousness. You see what I'm saying? And so Peter and John, they come to this beggar at the steps, and the man says, you got any silver or gold? And Peter says, no, but I do have something else. because I'm a beggar just like you. And he says, such as I really have, I give to you. And he takes his hand and he says, rise. Poverty in spirit actually raises us. It doesn't lower us. It doesn't make us more vulnerable even to the mammon of righteousness or the, the curses of this world. It doesn't lower us. Poverty of spirit always raises us. Every time you see poverty of spirit working, it's raising people. See, the human wants to say, oh, I feel threatened. Oh, I feel vulnerable. Oh, I feel under attack. And some of those things may be true. But this is where we come as a beggar. The beggar has no power to sustain themselves. And if we have poverty of spirit, we recognize that we are beggars. And then God raises us up. He took the man's hand and the man, his strength returned because he was lame. His strength returned and he, he leapt. He went even higher than earth. <laughs> God raised him up even higher, higher and higher. Don't we sing a song like that? So let me ask you a question. Does the beggar have really nothing to return? In a sense, Peter said, look, I'm just like you. 
Didn't Jesus say, I had no place to pillow his head? He laid his head on rocks. He had no home. Today we would say he was unsheltered. He's a beggar. He depended on the goodwill of people that he met, on the followers of those that he, he met. When he invited people to lunch, he didn't go into his house in what we read. He went into their houses. In a sense, Jesus placed himself dependent as a beggar. And yet he's king of kings, lord of lords. How can this be that the God of heaven becomes a beggar? And then he says, the poor in spirit will inherit the same kingdom that I'm in. And my question this morning is, what's our attitude? How's our worldview? When do we get huffy and presumptuous and upset and unthankful, right? And are those poor in spirit attitudes? God help us. This beggar has something to return. The rich man, the mammon worldview, it seeks to get and keep. The beggar worldview, the poverty in spirit, seeks to give and let go. It's get and keep or give and let go. Which one are we trying to work under? Get and keep, right? Manage, manipulate, or give and let go. All right. And you heard what I said about accountability. So the beggar has something to give in return. The beggar lives in another world. The Bible tells us that we're pilgrims. We're just passing through. There's times when we feel that way. Our home is not really here. It's there. It doesn't mean that we're not thankful for this place. We want to enjoy it. We want to take full advantage of it. God gives it to us. But our riches are not here. They're there. It's not material wealth or the lack of it that makes us rich or poor. It's our attitude. You can have a poor person that won't make heaven their home because they're rich in spirit. You can have a rich person that will make heaven their home because they're poor in spirit. How do we see ourselves? We're passing through. We're, the, the beggar really is not of, they're, they're in another world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can we be kings and priests and still be beggars? What do you think? Can we be kings and priests? Can we go to the throne of God boldly and still be beggars? You see? Are we selling all? And another, in another parable, Jesus spoke to a rich young ruler, and he said, I need you to sell everything and come and follow me. And the man couldn't because he had great possessions, and he had many barns, and that's where his riches were. Well, it's a type of an attitude or a worldview. You might say, brother, <clears throat> I don't have a lot of wealth in a lot of places, so I'm really, in, in that sense, rather poor. doesn't matter. How's our attitude? How's our worldview? Is it a rich man worldview? I thought it, it works out like this. 
<clears throat> to see ourselves in this world. You know how when you're working on the computer and you were on the internet and then you lose your connection and now the computer says you're offline? Poverty of spirit keeps us online. A mammon worldview takes us offline. You say, I love the Lord. The Lord has saved me. I really do want to make heaven my home. But in my interactions, in my relationships, is there a mammon spirit entering into them, right? That is taking me offline. And when I really need to be online and poverty of, of spirit will keep me there, I become, I become unable to work. Which is it? And I'll even go this far. I think sometimes good people can get caught up in getting offline. Well, then you discover, uh-oh, I've been typing away and nothing's gone in because I was offline. If the Lord shows us that, that there's a part of us that, that isn't approaching anybody with poverty of spirit, it's our duty to repent, to get back online. That's our duty. We can't presume that what God has done is going to get us there if, if we have this mammon of righteousness sort of attitude. I mean, can I go for decades and a lifetime about the things that are most important and never find that I have a need to change? You live in another world. I don't know what that world is. I'm being honest with you. If we can go for decades and a lifetime, and never find ourselves with a need to change. You live in another world. And I question whether, and, and, and I say that because I am discovering that I can see, I can see moments in my own life where the mammon of righteousness, insofar as the attitude, is attempting to, to govern my behavior and what I believe. And in my own life, I can say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for losing in that moment my poverty of spirit. Because that's what keeps me connected to you. Thank you for your attention this morning. Let's stand. We'll sing a song as we close.